Evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. The storm will kill you. Well, that's a clear message. From the Pacifica Radio Network in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ, on the Central Coast in 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming on the intertubes at the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, amongst others, blanketing planet Earth, which could use a blanket right around now. I'm Brad Friedman, your uh, friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You don't usually hear me say this. Uh, But please, please pay attention to the wise words. Yes, the wise words. Like I said, you don't normally hear me say this. The wise words of Florida Governor Rick Scott today. As the Category 4 Hurricane Matthew, which may be turning into Category 5 again, is now gunning straight towards Florida's east coast. If you're watching and you're in an evacuation area, get out. Don't take a chance. Time is running out. This is clearly going to either have a direct hit or come right along our coast, and we're going to have hurricane force winds. There are no excuses. You need to leave. Evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. This is serious. The storm will kill you. Time is running out. We don't have that much time left. Forecast project five to nine feet. Now, this is five to nine feet above where you're standing. Stop and think about that five to nine feet that does include the waves on top of that do not surf do not go on the beach this will kill you these are all projections it could be much worse time is running out if you're on the east coast you will lose power you're going to lose power do not believe you're not going to lose power you are going to lose power millions will lose power possibly for a long period of time That was Florida Governor Rick Scott today urging uh, people to get out while they still can because this storm will kill you. President Barack Obama echoed those sentiments. He declared a federal emergency uh, and offered his own warning today from the White House. I want to emphasize to the public this is a serious storm. Uh, It has already hit Haiti. Uh, with devastating effect. It is now in the process of moving through the Bahamas. 
because it's not going to be hitting enough land, uh, it is going to be building strength on its way to Florida. Uh, we anticipate that it will already begin to have significant effect in Florida and then has the potential to uh, strengthen and move on up the coast uh, during the course of the day. That was the president at the White House today. Hurricane Matthew was upgraded earlier today to a Category 4 storm as it tracks closer to the U.S. coast. And as I said, as we go to air, the Weather Channel is now reporting that this monster storm continues to strengthen, could become a Category 5 once again. In addition to Florida Governor Scott's uh, uh, warning, other governors from Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina have now declared states of emergency. Millions of people are being urged to head to safer ground as the most powerful storm to threaten the Atlantic coast in more than a decade continues its path to the northwest towards the U.S. at about 12 miles per hour. It's a slow moving storm. That's disturbing as well, because that means a lot of rainfall. And it's uh, currently said to be packing uh, wind gusts, uh, well, 125 mile per hour winds with higher gusts. Some eight million Florida residents are scrambling to make last minute prep. Hurricane Matthew um, could be uh, making landfall just north of West Palm Beach, Florida, sometime early Friday morning around 2 a.m. It could be the strongest storm to hit the U.S. in more than a decade if it makes landfall. Uh, up to 15 inches of rain may fall in some areas. And uh, you heard Governor Scott speak about that storm surge up to eight feet expected along the coast from central Florida to Georgia according to the National Hurricane Center. Uh, Notably here, no other Atlantic storm on record has packed these kind of powerful winds for such a prolonged period of time. It is the longest-lived Category 4 or 5 in the Eastern Caribbean, where Matthew has already claimed more than 100 lives as we go to air in the islands where it has already struck and that death toll is expected to rise. Here to talk about this and... Frankly, much more, because uh, this is a story that, uh, once again, the the corporate media does not seem to connect the dots, the climate dots. I hope we will do exactly that. Joining us to do that is Paul Douglas, a Minnesota broadcast meteorologist veteran on television and radio for more than 40 years. Uh, Some of our listeners um, may be familiar with Paul. He uh, uh, some of our listeners specifically up on our affiliate AM 950 KTNF up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He is founder and senior meteorologist at Eris Weather, providing tailored weather services for businesses and media outlets. And he writes a daily weather and climate column for the Minneapolis Star Tribune and serves on the climate science rapid response team delivering highly accurate science information to media and government representatives, at least those that want to hear it. Uh, He is now also the co-author of the new book, Caring for Creation, The Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment, which he wrote with Minister, coal miner's son and head of the Evangelical Environmental Network and a previous guest on this show, Reverend Mitch Hethscox. Paul Douglas, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. It's great to be with you, Brad. I wish it was under different circumstances, but uh, always good. 
thing with you. Yeah, and and with you, and I realize you're on the roll today. Uh, hopefully, your cell phone hangs out, uh, holds out here. Uh, we we saw a, a, a yet another enormous super typhoon in the in the Pacific this week. Uh, super typhoon Chaba. Even as Hurricane Matthew in the Atlantic slammed Haiti and Cuba, and now the Bahamas. It's on target for Florida, South Carolina other states up the eastern seaboard. What is, uh, from your perspective, uh, the latest on Matthew, and is it as devastating as it uh, now appears to be? What are you expecting from this storm as of now? What are you most concerned about? Well, I'm most concerned about an extended swath of storm surge damage, Brad. Usually hurricanes uh, hit the coast, and there's an area about 50 to 150 miles wide that suffers severe damage Mm -hmm. from the pounding waves and the storm surge, which is this rapid rise in water. In this case, again, you know, five, seven, nine feet above the normal tides. And this is what kills people. It's not the winds. It's not even as much the inland rain. It's it's the storm surge that can cut off escape routes. And unless you're up second, third, fourth floor of a well-constructed hotel or office building, uh, you can be swept away by the storm surge. And because Matthew is going to kind of hug the coast, mm-hmm. it's going to grind its way right up the coast, past Daytona, past uh, Cape Canaveral, which I expect to be mostly submerged by tomorrow morning, mm. uh, up towards Jacksonville. It could literally be a Category 3 once it reaches Savannah, Hilton Head, and Charleston. So there's going to be a long stretch of coastline that is impacted by this storm surge uh, because much of the circulation, Brad, is going to remain out over water. So it isn't going to fizzle the way a normal hurricane, once it comes inland, Mm -hmm. it rapidly weakens. It, It starves for moisture, and so it begins to weaken. But in this case, the circulation is going to remain over the warm Gulf Stream water and this storm strengthened from a tropical storm to a Category 5 in 36 hours. And that's a testament to the water temperatures in the Caribbean, which are running several degrees above average. So when people say, well, you know, who cares about a few degrees? Well, you know, it's the old weather on steroids analogy. We are supersizing a lot of these storms. It's been happening in the Pacific for years. You know, Typhoon Haiyan, mm-hmm. off the scale, could really technically a Category 6 hurricane a couple of years ago that decimated the Philippines. Is there such a uh, thing? Is there such know, a thing? 92% of the 92% of the warming is going into the oceans. And as a result, you know, we increase the potential for these turbocharged hurricanes. You say, uh, Paul Douglas, you say uh, uh, technically a Category 6. Is there such a thing as a Category 6? Is there an uh, an upper limit on these uh, on these storms? Well, today, as we sit here today, there is no Category 6. Mm-hmm. But if you were to continue the scale and, and look at a typhoon like Haiyan, where the sustained winds were 210, 220, mm-hmm. you could make an argument with a straight face that, it, it wasn't a Category 5. It was something more than a Category 5. If you look at the physics, uh, hurricanes get their strength from warm ocean water. The warmer the water, the greater the upper limit for what the winds can reach. 
especially if the upper-level winds are light and conditions are right for strengthening. But you could, in theory, have uh, a hurricane, a hypercane, with sustained winds of 250, 275. We haven't seen that. Uh, Hayam is the closest we've come uh, recently to, to getting that intensity. But if you believe some of the climate scientists, you know, we may be entering an era of these turbocharged, supersized hurricanes and typhoons. I've, I've never heard that word, hypercane. That's disturbing in and of itself. Uh, Paul, the, you mentioned the, the, the unusual path here that uh, Matthew is taking, sort of running up the coast instead of slamming straight into the land. So it, it's, it's that right. sort of staying on the water that is going to allow it to, uh, to, to, to increase the amount of uh, sea level uh, uh, rise, storm surge that's coming in because it's staying over the warm waters as it moves north up the coast? Yes, Brad, ex- exactly. It's paralleling the coast, which means that it won't weaken nearly as rapidly as a typical hurricane moving inland. So I think it's going to hit as a Category 5 for a strong four or a weak Category 5. Sustained winds around 150, 155. Very close to West Palm Beach, very close to uh, Mr. Trump's Mar-a-Lago Hotel. So that'll be interesting to see if if there are impacts there. But then it's going to weaken gradually to a Category 4 during the day tomorrow, impacting the Cape, Titusville, Jacksonville, and possibly reach Category 3 strength, weaken to a 3 by the time it gets up near Savannah, Hilton Head. But again, these barrier islands, it doesn't take much to submerge a lot of these barrier islands. Mm. So I think there's going to be a stretch of maybe three to 500 miles of, of fairly extensive storm surge flooding oh. from Matthew. We've been uh, keeping our eye, as I mentioned earlier, on both uh, what, what became a superstorm Chaba in the Pacific, Matthew in the Atlantic, and in both cases, uh, you mentioned the unusual path along the along the coast. But I believe that Matthew was the farthest south uh, ca- category five storm on record to form in the Atlantic. Chaba also had a very unusual path. You mentioned the difference, uh, the the warming water, the effect that has on the strength. But are we seeing different weather patterns? now uh, than we have in the past? And if so, what what would explain that? The answer is yes. It's not your grandfather's weather. There have been changes, and it was the increasingly freakish weather that tipped me off uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. that something was going on, which pulled me into the science spread and made me realize that climate theory was already a meteorological reality, that this wasn't something distant way off in the future, that it's already happening. A couple of years back, we had our first hurricane in the southern hemisphere off the coast of Brazil, Mm -hmm. which has never been reported because the waters are usually too chilly, but in this case, the waters were warm enough to support um, a hurricane in the southern hemisphere. So... Again, you warm things up, you increase the amount of water vapor, the amount of fuel available for flash flooding. Uh, The United States has seen five separate thousand-year floods in just the last year, including 
This storm that hit Louisiana around Baton Rouge, extreme flooding, 30 inches of rain from a storm with no name. And, you know, whether it's Maryland or West Virginia or Texas or South Carolina, and that's the thing about climate change. It it doesn't hit home until it hits home. Mm -hmm. And it's hitting home with greater frequency and ferocity, which begs the question, how many times do you have to be clubbed over the head before you pay attention? (laughs) and start to connect the dots. And I think increasingly, many Americans are connecting the dots and realizing that something is going on. And the most likely explanation is the fact that it's warmer. Well, Um, speaking of uh, being clubbed over the head, I'll I'll just put out this trigger warning. I'm about to uh, uh, play Rush Limbaugh uh, in a second because I want to get your comment on that and talk about your book and how all of this plays in together. Uh, but uh, before I, I turn to that, let me one more question on Matthew here. Maybe this is a crazy question. I'm not a, a meteorologist, so I don't uh, know how this should work. But I'm looking at the predicted path right now for uh, or the projected path for Matthew. It looks very unusual, at least to my layman's eyes, in that it is predicted to go up the eastern seaboard, seaboard as we've discussed, through the Carolinas, but then veer out to the sea and actually back down to the south, uh, in what almost looks like a U-turn. Uh, is that unusual as well? And could that mean it reforms again and comes back into the U.S. and slams Florida again? Yeah, it's a little like Chucky and Halloween, right? I mean, it just keeps coming back and back. Yeah, uh, a number of the computer models, including the European and some of the U.S. models, indicate that Matthew may make a big loop. Uh, a big, yeah, a big U-turn. Yeah. Normally these things sweep out to sea, but there's a giant blocking pattern. And we're seeing more of these blocking patterns, Brad, where weather patterns slow down or stall. And when the weather stalls, bad things happen. A similar blocking pattern steered Sandy into New Jersey in late October. That storm should have swept out to sea and 2030. Years ago would have, but because we had unusually warm conditions over Greenland, we had a giant blocking high, a big roadblock, which pushed that storm inland in late October, which you know really is unprecedented. So we're seeing more of these blocking patterns where weather stalls for extended periods of time, and when that happens, you increase the chance of prolonged biblical rains or much more severe drought. So that, that does seem to be another symptom of warming and changes in the jet stream that we're observing. Uh, has Have we ever seen something like that, a hurricane uh, down in Florida actually hitting Florida, going out to sea, and then coming back again? I, I can't remember a similar situation. I know there have been two hurricanes in the last 150 years that have taken a path similar to the one projected for Matthew, but neither of those two were anywhere near as strong as this storm. So, I, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but this, this could be unprecedented in terms of the track, the intensity, the amount of real estate that's impacted by this storm surge, and the fact that it's taking this bizarre loop potentially. So we're going to have to watch it, but it, it's conceivable that it's you know, the Bahamas, which got ripped up today by a 10 to 15 storm surge, 10 to 15 foot storm surge, could 
tropical storm conditions as Matthew comes back for a uh-huh. second swipe sometime next week. Wow. Uh, 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 wow, that's just uh, kind of amazing, and this is kind of what I feared from this storm uh, over the past week as it was developing. Uh, Paul, I'm speaking with Paul Douglas, uh, a Minnesota broadcast meteorologist. Uh, Paul, uh, I, last time we spoke, I know, and I want to get to your book on because it's all related here. But uh, I, I think you said, were, "Are you or were you a Republican or a conservative? How do you, how do you currently identify yourself in that regard?" I'm a Ronald Reagan, Teddy Roosevelt conservative. I'm a conservative who believes that conservatives should actually conserve, (laughs) and that this applies to our economy, and it applies to our environment. So, yeah, I'm... uh, Okay. I voted for the the GOP candidate my entire life. Um, That said, I, I have trouble voting for climate deniers, because if you deny climate change, if you deny science, what else are you going to deny? Well, here's what else uh, they're going to deny, uh, because I know that you've been trying to reach out to your fellow conservatives on the issue of global warming uh, and climate change with your book with uh, Reverend Mitch Hescox, who's an evangelical. We've had him on the show as well. Uh, But there are climate uh, skeptics, and I'm being really nice by using that word because I'm trying to be polite here for a change, but in this case, Rush Limbaugh, who is still reaching and misinforming millions of Americans even today, uh, these so-called skeptics suggest that there's been a dearth of hurricanes coming ashore in the U.S. in recent years, and that is evidence that global warming isn't happening or it's a hoax or whatever they'd like to pretend. Let me play this uh, clip Paul from Limbaugh just yesterday, and then I want to I want to get your thoughts on it again. Trigger warning to those who can't stand listening to Rush. I have perfected being able to analyze how hurricanes are reported. I've been I've become an expert in spotting the politics in hurricane tracking and hurricane forecasting, and by that I mean the people that work at the the, the the National Hurricane Center is part of the National Weather Service, which is part of the Commerce Department, which is part of the Obama administration, which by definition uh, has been tainted, just like the DOJ has. So in hurricane tracking and hurricane forecasting, I've been able to spot where I think they might be playing games because it's in the interests of the left to have destructive hurricanes, because then they can blame it on climate change, which they can desperately continue to try to selling, try to sell. The problem for them is after Hurricane Katrina, remember Al Gore goes out there and all these people start saying this is just the beginning and this is just a dummy, just tip of the iceberg. We're going to have these kind of hurricanes every year, numerous hurricanes, like, and they're going to be more destructive than Katrina. And it's all because we've got climate change. And then what happened? We had 11 years of no hurricanes, 11 straight years, no major hurricanes striking land in the United States, which just bores a hole right through the whole climate change argument. Okay, uh, Paul, uh, because you are or were a Ronald Reagan Republican, I'm going to hold you personally accountable for everything Rush Limbaugh just said there. Uh, Your uh, 11 years of no hurricanes, your response to that and to the National Weather Service being tainted by Obama from Rush Limbaugh. Uh, I guess Sandy doesn't count uh, in those 11 years, by the way. Uh, In any event, that all means there's no climate change. Paul Douglas, you have the floor. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm at a rare 
rare loss for words, but um, I, I don't ascribe to the conspiracy theories this notion that thousands of Ph.D. scientists and their staffs have been hoodwinked and they're cooking the books and NOAA and NASA, every scientific organization on the planet is somehow in on this and in cahoots with President Obama's administration to grow government. I'm like, really? <laughs> Our government can't even launch a website. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I just don't buy it. Uh, we've been lucky. We've been relatively lucky. We have had major hurricanes in the Atlantic. It's just that none of it in the U.S. Right. So somehow the denialists, the professional denialists, say, well, you know, if they don't hit the U.S., it's like the bear in the woods, right? Yes. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know where you're going there. We've, we've we've had a long list of extreme hurricanes and typhoons in the Pacific. We've been lucky in the Atlantic for the last decade mm-hmm. that the big hurricanes that have formed have not hit the United States. But that doesn't mean we haven't had hurricanes. <laughs> it just means that we've been lucky with the tracks of these hurricanes. Right. So. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when the science isn't in their favor, a lot of people resort to conspiracy theories, you know, the flat earthers. And you can believe what you want to believe. I don't, I don't really care what you believe. The atmosphere doesn't care what you believe. The atmosphere responds to physics and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And we've been fiddling with the chemistry of the atmosphere. We've been poking at the climate system with a long, sharp, carbon tip spike and then acting surprised when the weather bites back. I don't know what Rush would say to the people displaced by extreme flooding in West Virginia or Ellicott City, Maryland or South Carolina or Texas. Um, And it's going to become harder to dismiss and deny and just wave away with a magic wand. Mm. And, you know, shame on the people that have politicized science. You know, let, let's debate policy. Let's not debate evidence and science and facts. And right now there's a preponderance of evidence that something is going on. The most likely culprit is the increase in CO2 going from 280 to mm-hmm. 400 parts per million. Higher than it's been possibly in 3 million years. And it is starting to show up. Well, you know, our... Is, is, is climate change creating hurricanes that wouldn't have been there otherwise? No. But it's supersizing the storms that would have formed anyway. It's making the storms more extreme. The extremes are trending more extreme. Well, let me, And that's going to become more obvious in the years to come. I, I would like to talk about those policies, uh, but, you know, the problem here is, Paul, uh, Limbaugh's rhetoric, well, you know, dismissing or marginalizing climate science or calling it a hoax, that seems to win the day because every four years we go through these cycles of presidential debates, it seems like, and the, the, the mainstream corporate media, not the crazy right-wing media, not Rush, not Fox News, but the regular, the real media still refuse to raise the topic of climate change, of global warming, of the policies you're talking about in any of these presidential debates. We saw this again uh, over the past week uh, with, the, with the vice presidential debate. That, despite the 
broad differences between Republicans and Democratic candidates that you would think they would want to bring out because it seems like it's it's rife for uh, for discussion, for debate in one of these settings. Yet we don't see it. Now, I would think that uh, th- that would be at least as important as the, you know, from a national security uh, perspective as uh, the, the terrorism that they're always talking about. Uh, you know, the ability for mankind to survive on this planet. You've spent years in the corporate media, Paul. What explains the the reticence from, you know, all of these moderators to simply ask any question at all in the presidential debate about climate change and, and, and global warming? Well, I think they're responding to some of the polls that show that climate change is, is not top of mind for most Americans. It's somewhere down the list. And I think it's also a symptom of disruption in the traditional media. You know, you, you don't want to do anything that's going to piss off 20% of your audience. You want that 20%. And if you just utter the words climate change, you're, you know, mm. some of the people that uh, are still in denial are going to turn away, turn it off, tune out. So you don't want to antagonize any of your audience. You want the biggest audience, you want the greatest ratings possible. So, you know, it's hard speaking truth to power, and and maybe you lose ratings, maybe you're not as popular, but your kids and your grandkids will thank you for it. Yeah, well, I and I expect you don't want to tell your uh, viewers and your listeners and your readers that it's going to rain and it's going to be a terrible day tomorrow. That, you know, doesn't help uh, readership, but you tell them anyway because it's your job to inform the electorate, uh, you know, so I, right. I, I've never accepted this reason that, oh, it's it's not a topic for discussion. It's not a popular topic. So, you know, CNN shouldn't raise it. Uh, but that's what seems to happen. Uh, Paul Douglas, I've got just a, a minute or two left here, but I do want to get into your uh, to your new book, Caring for Creation, the Evangelicals Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment. Uh, but wait, uh, Paul, I thought that the evangelicals, I thought they were with Donald Trump this year. He believes climate change is a hoax uh, invented by the Chinese to make money or something. So what do you mean the evangelicals guide to climate change and a healthy environment? Well, I think there's still a lot of evangelicals and conservatives that are that are, are keeping an open mind. I mean, we hear from some of the most vocal climate deniers, but I think there's a significant percentage of people who have a conservative worldview, especially younger people, younger voters, who don't have the baggage, who have their eyes wide open and see what's going on. But we're trying to frame this in a way that appeals to their worldview and that resonates with their worldview, talking about stewardship, talking about creation care, and framing this as an economic opportunity. I think a lot of people, when they think climate change, oh, the only possible solution, more government, more regulation, EPA times 10, you know, how else will we solve this problem when, in fact, it won't be a bureaucrat in Washington. It will be thousands of new companies, uh, similar to Tesla, springing Mm -hmm. up around the country, innovating, disrupting, and giving us all the energy we need for less money, even less money than fossil fuels, and fewer side effects, fewer unpleasant symptoms, mm-hmm. um, more resilience, 
smaller grids, you know, breaking up the utility monopolies, you know, don't tell me I can't put solar panels on my roof or my church or my business and take advantage of the free mm-hmm. energy that's out there. And, you know, the fossil fuel industry doesn't want to be disrupted. No industry wants to be disrupted. And so they're pushing back. And they're pushing this competing narrative that, oh, climate change, it's not real. If it is real, it won't be bad. And we'll, we'll figure it out. And we will figure it out. I'm more convinced of that than ever. But the solutions will come, I think, from the markets. Decarbonization is not going to come about through politics, at least not in the short term. It will be, uh, we're going to see solutions that come about and less carbon based on economics, and based on energy security, the fact that there are a lot of reasons why we want energy freedom, we want energy choice, and we want cleaner communities, healthier communities. One in three kids today, Brad, affected by severe allergies, asthma, autism, or ADHD. One in three. And I think we can all agree that you know fewer chemicals Pure petrochemicals in the environment, probably a good thing. We can clean things up. Twice as many people die prematurely from air pollution than traffic accidents today. Mm. So, you know, we can clean up our communities in the short term and address the climate challenge in the long term and create the new technologies that we can export to the rest of the world. And, you know, in the United States, we're going to be in pretty good shape, I think, because we're a rich nation. We'll figure it out. We can adapt. And the rest of the world, the third world, I mean, you think it's a mess now. Yeah. Give it a few years. Yeah. That's... You know, clean water, the, the migrations that we see now in Europe and the Mediterranean, I think we're just getting a taste of what may happen as things continue to warm up. So the military, many within the military take the threat seriously and i still think that i'm optimistic for two reasons number one kids today don't have the same sense of cynicism that their parents or grandparents have they see what's happening and number two the arc of technology the price of fossil fuels uh you know volatility with fossil fuels the fact that we have to be police cop for the entire planet policing the oil supply chains. But you look at the price of renewables, solar, wind, Mm -hmm. dropping even faster, and you take away all subsidies, and renewable energy is cheaper in many cases than even natural gas. So things are moving in the right direction, but we need to move faster. We, we do indeed. And on that note, I got to move faster and get out here. That is uh, Paul Douglas, conservative and Ronald Reagan Republican, uh, calling for action on climate change. He is the author of the uh, the new book with Reverend Mitch Hescox, Caring for Creation, The Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment. And of course, he is also a Minnesota broadcast meteorologist uh, and I hope a more frequent guest on this program. Paul, good luck with that book. Good luck with getting that message out to those uh, those conservatives, those evangelicals who really do need to hear it. Uh, always great to talk to you, my friend. And uh, boy, uh, fingers crossed for the folks down uh, on the uh, on the eastern seaboard this week.
Yeah, I feel like I'm swimming upstream with a message, but uh, at some point the wind will be at our back. And, uh, yeah, uh, say a prayer for the folks in Florida and all across the southeast coast. It's going to be a very rough couple of days. And I'm right there in that stream with you in the mean in the meantime, Paul. Paul Douglas, thank you very much. Check him out, his work at the Star Tribune at pauldouglasweather.com, on the Twitters at P. Douglas Weather, and you can find more on his book, uh, get it for someone for Christmas for your uh, crazy right wing uncle. Uh, caring, <laughs> caringforcreationbook.com. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Brad. Always a pleasure. Hang in there, buddy. All right. Gonna try. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We're running long, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Unless you're in Florida, in which case, go away. Go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. By taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, I didn't even get to say hello to you, Desi Doyen, <laughs> in the uh, in the opening there. I wanted to get straight to Paul Douglas. Plus, yes. I didn't I didn't think you'd be interested in that particular. Oh, topic. it's just you know, it's, it's weather climate. I know you don't care about, about that, that stuff. stuff. <laughs> Actually, in truth, we've got a we've got a green news report coming up uh, in a little bit here uh, with some really important stuff uh, above and beyond. Uh, Hurricane Matthew, but it all plays together. We we like to connect the dots on this show, the climate dots on this show in particular, um, because uh, so few others do. Uh, I think you had mentioned, uh, was it uh, Amy Goodman on our, our, our Pacifica Radio colleague there, Amy Goodman on uh, Democracy, Democracy Now! Now yeah, she said she had been canvassing the uh, cable media stations, the mm-hmm. network stations as well, and she said that there really were no... Uh, climate uh, scientists being talked to. There were the National Hurricane Center. She said CNN was asking them, so is there anything else you'd like to tell us about this? And she said there was no mention of climate change. (laughs) 
I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't know. be surprised. No, uh, I know. You know, it's... though, I think we, we talked with uh, Paul Douglas there about uh, the, the lack of questions about this in the presidential debates. And, uh, you know, it happened again with the vice presidential debate. We'll, we'll uh, discuss that in the Green News report. But um, I think it'll come up this Sunday in the uh, in the debate. Uh, just to predict uh, that is if if the debate actually happens at this point, it, uh, this could this could be just epic, terrible, this storm. Yes, it's very possible. And I would not be surprised at all. I am sad to say if it doesn't come up at all in the next presidential debate, even even with uh, even with all that's going on, hurricane going on at this point, I am so cynical. I don't believe that it will. You are cynical. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I don't know how it could not, uh, given what's going on. But uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, Trump has a history, as uh, TPM notes today, a history of politicizing election season hurricanes going back to uh, to 2012 as uh, Hurricane Sandy was uh, slamming into the uh, Northeast. This was just before the 2012 presidential election back in uh, late October of 2012. And uh, Trump tweeted, yes, he was tweeting at the time like crazy, that uh, he was going to use that hurricane, that Barack Obama was going to use the hurricane to, quote, buy the election. Uh, against Mitt Romney. He said, uh, Hurricane is good luck for Obama again. He will buy the election by handing out billions of dollars. He said that just days, about four days before the uh, before the November election back in 2012. Uh, and then he continued with these tweets for days thereafter, before the election, uh, you know, as Chris Christie and Barack Obama were actually working together down there during this horrible superstorm, Sandy. Uh, Trump said, I'm concerned about the hurricane and that people will vote for Obama because he's bravely standing in water. Don't fall for it. Our country is at stake. Next day, he went on to say, do you believe Al Gore is blaming global global warming for the hurricane? <laughs> where did where would Al Gore get that crazy idea? Gosh, I don't know. Scientists, that was, maybe that was a record. That Superstorm Sandy was a, a record amount of rainfall back. in. Yeah, and it was also a, geographically a record. It was one of the physically largest storms uh, a thousand miles across, yes. if I remember correctly. So can you believe Al Gore was doing that? Uh, Trump went on to tweet with long uh, with long gas lines and total disarray from storm. The hurricane may yet be a negative for Obama. So he changed his mind within just the same day. Uh, it was going to be a great thing for Obama. Then it was going to be a negative. He said, interestingly, the hurricane may now be a disaster for Obama's reelection because of his grandstanding. Whatever that grandstanding was at the time. Uh, he went on to tweet, could be the hurricane helps Mitt Romney. People are rioting in the streets over gasoline. <laughs> that must be like those Muslims that he saw that were cheering 9-11. Yeah. Remember those famous gasoline riots yeah. of uh, Hurricane Sandy? <laughs> Who can ever? They're still, we will rebuild. Um, <laughs> well, well, I just, I'm, I yeah. just want to say that the fact that he complains and calls it grandstanding yeah. or that Obama's trying to buy the election, what he's talking about is disaster recovery funding, mm -hmm. emergency funding. So it's like, you know, you can't, you get, you get hit six ways to Sunday because either you, you get slammed for not helping people right. or you get slammed for helping Which, people. Which, by the way, he also slammed Obama <laughs> 
for not helping people right. just days before in October, the same month, uh, just, you know, days before, a couple of weeks before, uh, he said uh, after Obama's uh, 2007 racist speech on Katrina relief, I don't recall that racist speech, but I'm but I'm glad Donald Trump is worried about racism in America. In any event, uh, after Obama's 07 racist speech on Katrina, he now won't provide any aid to victims of Hurricane Isaac. Oh, that's ridiculous. Remember that? Yes. So, uh, I mean, you're right. So he's trying to have it both ways. He's yes. slamming him for giving away federal funds. He's slamming him for not giving away federal funds. That's so unusual for for Trump to be uh, opportunistic? To be, yeah, opt- optimistic. No, say opportunistic. Ah, uh, yes. You're right. Thank you. Uh, to be uh, saying one thing in one way and another thing. Uh, and uh, so far, he's actually been well-behaved. I don't suspect this will last. Uh, but he has uh, tweeted uh, in regard to Hurricane Matthew, uh, one tweet only. He said, uh, praying for everyone in Florida, hoping the hurricane dissipates. But in any event, please be careful. Well, maybe somebody took away his phone. Un- yeah, that doesn't sound like a Trump tweet, does it? It doesn't. Sounds like somebody else. Uh, but uh, speaking of Trump and hurricanes and global warming and reasons you should be concerned, uh, our friend Steve Horn over at Desmog Blog notes that Washington Post is reporting Mike Catanzaro, a former senior energy staffer for Republican Party House Majority Leader John Boehner with a track record of climate change denial, will lead the Republican Party presidential candidate Donald Trump's energy transition team. Catanzaro now works as a partner at the lobbying firm CGCN, where his clients include Noble Energy, Coke Industries, Ensana and Kana. I don't know how you say that. Kana. Kana Oil and Gas, Halliburton, Devon Energy, and others. For those clients, he lobbies on issues such as pushing for more drilling on public lands, uh, against emissions regulations for drilling onshore and offshore wells on public lands for Hess Corporation and Devon, and for offshore drilling in Israel on behalf of Noble Energy. Um. So he's essentially he's a Coke Industries lobbyist. He's going to head up Donald Trump's energy transition team. Sounds familiar. Yes. Uh, So, you know, think about that as as you're watching this storm over the next few days coming in. Think about Donald Trump uh, and how he deals with energy and regulation. He has said he wants to do away with all of these uh, job killing regulations uh, by the EPA that are trying to do something about what you heard Ronald Reagan Republican Paul Douglas just talk about. Yeah, these are matters of public health and safety. And so what he's talking about is, you know, I like the idea of clean water and clean air. I just don't think industry should have to do anything about it. You know, and that is that that sort of that free market libertarian concept Mm -hmm. that you have to wait until after the damage is done and then you get to sue. So you have to wait till your dad dies from poisoned water. Then you can sue the company. And that's the free market at work. The smog blog is also reporting that Kathleen Hartnett White the climate change-denying former aide to First Lady Nancy Reagan and chairwoman of the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Oh, that commission. Oh, gosh. Uh, This under uh, uh, Republican Governor Rick Perry. Apparently, uh, Hartnett White is now under consideration to head the U.S. EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, if Trump assumes the White House. 
Dismog has reported that Trump's prospective Secretary of Energy, uh, hydraulic fracturing uh, Baron Harold Hamm, founder and CEO of Continental Resources, stands to gain economically from the building of TransCanada's Keystone XL Pipeline and the uh, Energy Transfer Partners Dakota Access Pipeline up in uh, up in North Dakota. So make him Secretary of Energy. He stands to uh, stands to make a whole bunch of money if he approves the uh, Keystone XL Pipeline and all of these other pipelines. Uh, the, the transition team is a Coke industry guy. Man, what could possibly go wrong? Okay, uh, very quick before we get to a break here, uh, we were talking a few days ago about how this uh, Republican Party is just being torn apart through this election. Uh, well, now Fox News itself is being uh, seemingly torn apart. Roger Ailes is gone after the uh, sex, uh, sexual harassment allegations against him. He's now working, of course, with Trump. Uh, but two of the uh, Fox News Channel's biggest stars have turned their sharp tongues on one another, according to the BBC. This after Sean Hannity accused Megyn Kelly of being in league with Hillary Clinton. Oh, brother. This uh, clash began uh, when Kelly said Wednesday that uh, that both uh, Mrs. Clinton and Donald Trump avoid tough media interviews. She said the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, will go on Hannity and pretty much only on Hannity. And, of course, Hannity, who is a huge supporter of Donald Trump's, has actually appeared in his videos, his uh, campaign ads. He fired back on Twitter writing, you should be mad at Hillary Clinton. Clearly, you support her. This to to Megyn Kelly. Uh, And real Donald Trump did talk to you. Months ago, they they talked. Uh, Another Twitter user chided Hannity, urging him to stand by his colleagues. But the host replied, sure, when they stand by me. Thin-skinned much? That kind of thing would not have happened if Roger Ailes was still in charge at Fox News. Uh, Just wait till the day after the election, and we'll see what happens. All right, a quick break, and we're back with uh, more Bradcast, the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A, uh, a, a very green Bradcast today, Desi Doyen. I know. Very green. I can barely stand it. Yes, I know. Well, very green and very wet. Uh, so uh, let's get to it. A lot to cover in our latest green news report. Being safe in the world, not only with a strong military, but also strong alliances to battle terrorism and climate change. If you blinked, you missed it. Climate change shut out again at the vice presidential debate. All revenues generated under this system will stay in the province or territory where they are generated. Canada to establish a national carbon tax. New study warns the world is rapidly using up its carbon budget. Plus... Today's a historic day in the fight to protect our planet for future generations. Global Paris Agreement surges over the finish line before the U.S. presidential election. And not a moment too soon. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... 
snarky comment. Ending the war on coal, a war on coal, and the war on coal, more of the same war on coal, and the war on coal. If you keep saying it enough, Mike Pence, it might be true. Just like all your other lies, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, as another major hurricane, Hurricane Matthew, bears down on the U.S., we're reminded again how important all of the other issues we're covering on today's Green News Report actually are. Yes, Hurricane Matthew is churning its way toward the U.S. after killing at least 108 people overall in the Caribbean. In the United States, states of emergency and evacuations are underway in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina as Matthew heads up the eastern seaboard. It's forecast to bring torrential rain and dangerous storm surge, so stay safe out there. Meanwhile, another shutout for climate change in the one and only vice presidential debate of the 2016 election held at Longwood University in Virginia on Tuesday. CBS moderator Elaine Quijano had lots of questions about foreign policy and national security for the Democratic vice presidential candidate Virginia Senator Tim Kaine and the Republican vice presidential nominee Indiana Governor Mike Pence. But nothing on the U.S. military's warning that climate change is a threat to national security or the fact that America Americans are much more likely to be killed by climate change impacts than by domestic terrorism. Mm. This despite the stark differences between the nominees. Kane accepts climate science. Pence is a climate change denier. But, however, there was a bit of talk on energy. Ending the war on coal, it is hurting jobs and hurting this economy, even here in Virginia. More regulation, uh, a war on coal, and the war on coal. More regulation, more of the same war on coal, and the war on coal. We invest in manufacturing and infrastructure and research in the clean energy jobs of tomorrow. And that was it. That was it. Guess it doesn't matter. Look out for those terrorists. Meanwhile, some good news for the planet. Today, the world meets the moment. That was President Obama on Wednesday announcing that the European Union has collectively ratified the historic United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, the international accord to cut global emissions that cause dangerous global warming. That vote pushes the accord over the final threshold requirement of ratification by 55 countries representing at least 55 percent of global emissions. The Paris Agreement now goes into effect 30 days after ratification at the next U.N. Climate Summit in Morocco on November 7th. That's one day before the U.S. presidential election. The speedy ratification in just 10 months reflects international fear of a Donald Trump presidency. So now no country can withdraw from the agreement for four years, but a Trump presidency could undermine and sabotage it. So it isn't exactly Trump proof, but it is Trump and Republican resistant. (laughs) President Obama acknowledged that the Paris Agreement is not enough. The Paris Agreement alone will not solve the climate crisis. Even if we meet every target embodied in the agreement, we'll only get to part of where we need to go. But make no mistake, this agreement will help delay or avoid some of the worst consequences of climate change. Obama also said it will help send a signal that this is where the world is going and that will help unleash innovation. More good news. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a nationwide carbon tax this week. The government proposes that the price on carbon pollution should start at a minimum of $10 per tonne in 2018. All revenues generated under this system will stay in the province or territory 
where they are generated. Canada's provinces can either join up or create their own cap-and-trade emissions systems. Oil-producing provinces are not happy. Oh well, life happens. Finally, these big climate policy changes are helpful, but a new study warns the world is rapidly using up what's left of the carbon budget. That's the amount of carbon dioxide that scientists estimate can be emitted without overshooting the target in the Paris Agreement of keeping global temperatures from rising more than 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times. Impacts are projected to be severe even with the two degrees Celsius limit, but above two degrees is said to be, as the World Bank puts it, quote, incompatible with human civilization. And here you had all that good news. You had to go and ruin it at the end. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and spread the word via Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, we are. Thank you, Des. Uh, You know, I think you sort of buried the lead there. Actually, all of those stories (laughs) were lead stories today. Uh, But one of them, we, we kind of flew past it there, but this carbon tax that Justin Trudeau came out with and announced for the entire nation of Canada, that's a pretty huge story. Yeah, that's a really big deal. There's a lot more detail at our post for the Green News Report. And one of the things I thought was interesting, it's a bit of a, of a, of a contradiction, a very big contradiction, actually. Justin Trudeau's administration also approved a massive liquid natural gas project for the British Columbia coast. And that's very contradictory to a carbon tax. Well, yes and no. Uh, In one sense, uh, the theory being with the carbon tax is that now polluters will have to pay for the pollution. So uh, this will somewhat limit, will it not, uh, the the amount of uh, carbon, the amount of liquid natural gas that is pushed through these things? Well, that's a great point. That's a great point. In theory and in practice, you're welcome. It should it should actually make that natural gas more expensive. So uh, so uh, so in theory, it ramps everything down. That's the theory. But as long as you think I made a great point, then I'm going to get the hell out. My thanks <laughs> to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, Paul Douglas of the Star Tribune and pauldouglasweather.com. Love that guy. Uh, and my thanks to all of you for uh, spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com. Though, my great thanks to those of you who do stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the air and continue to do what we do ad-free uh, and without some of those commercial pressures that uh, that Paul Douglas was talking about a little bit earlier. Thanks also to those of you who uh, have sent in uh, complimentary notes and cards along with uh, with those donations. Thank you. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. And you can find me right here in our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>